Looking again at uh, Mark chapter 4, the same chapter we looked at this morning, looking at, starting with verse 30. Again, Jesus is talking and again describing the kingdom of heaven. And he says, what shall we say the kingdom of God is like? Or what parable shall we use to describe it? It's like a mustard seed, which is the smallest seed you plant in the ground. Yet when planted, it grows and becomes the largest of all garden plants with such big branches that the birds of the air can perch on its shade. With many similar parables, Jesus spoke with the word to them as much as they could understand. He did not say anything to them without using a parable, but when he was alone with his own disciples, he explained everything. I don't know about you, but I understand stories usually better than I do deep theological thoughts. I'm just, I guess I'm not a deep thinker. I don't know. But uh, at any rate, we're going to tonight consider the awesome power of a mustard seed. I read of a man who was out on the golf course, and he spotted another man with four caddies. And he thought, well, that's really unusual. You know, most only have one caddy. So he went over to him and said, I don't understand, why do you have four caddies? He said, oh, it's my wife's idea. She said I needed to spend more time with the kids. And I'm afraid that with some parents that may be the case. They don't spend much time with their kids. Again tonight, we're going to talk about fathers a little bit. Uh, I, I think that father may be the same one who, when asked by his wife, when they brought home the first baby to help with changing diapers, he said, I'm terribly busy right now. I'll take care of the next one. So she changed the diaper. A little while later, she said, the diaper needs to be changed again. He said, oh, I'm sorry. You misunderstood me. I didn't mean the next diaper. I meant the next child. So I don't know. I can understand that. Changing diapers is not a fun thing to do. Well, again, this is Father's Day. And a few years ago, we lost a popular cartoonist, uh, Bill Keen, that used to do the Family Circus. Anybody ever read the Family Circus? I used to look at that all the time. I thought it was so funny. But in one of the drawings, Dad is sitting in the recliner reading the paper, and Billy comes up with his baseball cap on and a mitt in one hand and a ball in another, and he says, Dad, I'll just be sitting outside growing older till you have time to play with me. It kind of touches your heart, doesn't it? I'll be outside growing older. Well, I recently read about a beautiful wedding in which the radiant bride walked down the aisle on the arm of her father. They reached the altar where the smiling groom stood waiting, and the bride kissed her father and placed something in his hand. And when he returned to the seat, he looked to see what it was, and uh, it was his credit card. Well, fathers come in handy, don't they? Uh, was that Jenna that I read about, James? Oh, you don't know. She didn't hand you the credit card? No, okay. Uh, but fathers come in handy. Uh, comic Robin Fairbank says, I have an 18-year-old daughter. I named her Lexus, Alexis. And if you're wondering why I chose that name, it's because if I hadn't had her, that's what I'd be driving. It's not easy, particularly in today's world, to be a dad. Kids today expect so much. I have a, that's because I have pen pal, I guess that's an old-fashioned term. I have an email pal in uh, 
Colombia, and he doesn't speak English, and I speak well, probably enough Spanish to get myself in trouble if I tried to speak it. But he texted me one day and said, <laughs> okay, it's back on. Okay. He said, yesterday was my birthday, my 21st birthday, and I was the biggest surprise. My family was so good to me, I couldn't believe it. I got two pair of socks and a t-shirt. Said, I've never gotten that much for my birthday. I thought, boy, if a teenage kid here got two pair of socks and a t-shirt, I couldn't believe all that I got. Well, not knowing Spanish and, and... Anyway, I wrote back to him and said, my, it sounds like your family spoiled you rotten. And I didn't hear back of him for quite a few minutes, well, a couple of hours actually, and he texts back and said, why did you say I smell bad and should be thrown in the trash? <laughs> Idioms don't translate well. And it took a long time to try to explain that idiom. And I really, I don't know, why do we say someone is spoiled rotten? It doesn't make sense, but that is an American idiom. At least it's one where I grew up. I don't know, maybe it's not an Oklahoma saying, is it? You say, okay, all right. So at any rate, kids today in our country expect a lot from their parents. Uh, Phyllis Diller, who was never one of my favorite comedians, and I usually turned it off when she was on because I didn't like her, but she made one statement that I thought fit into this message. She said, I want my children to have everything I couldn't afford, and then I'm going to move in with them. Uh, I thought, <laughs> that's one funny line she had, I guess. Well, our text today isn't specifically designed for fathers. It's designed, rather, for the followers of Jesus Christ. The master is talking about the kingdom of God, and he speaks hopeful words about the days ahead. He says, what shall we say the kingdom of God is like? Or what parable shall we use to describe it? It's like a mustard seed, which is the smallest of all seeds on earth. Yet when planted, it grows and becomes the largest of all garden plants with such big branches that the birds can perch in its shade. For years, when I pictured that, I pictured a great big tree. And then I read one day that the mustard plant is just a shrub, but it's the largest one that grows in Israel. And it's big enough for birds to plant or to build their nests in it. And the writer of the concordance I was reading said, if Jesus was telling this story in America, he would probably say the kingdom of God is like a sequoia tree. You plant a little acorn and it grows up big. He always used stories that the people could relate to. And so he used the mustard plant. The mustard plant is a shrub. In that part of the world, it's the largest of all the shrubs, and the birds do build their nests in it. But the point of the parable, however, is, is not the size of the tree or the size of the shrub. The point is that a tiny seed brings about major accomplishments. Just a little seed. And I think an example of that growth is the story of the early church. It began with only the master and 12 disciples and an unknown number of women. And I think sometimes we forget the women were such an important part of the early church. They were there from the very beginning, giving their support, sharing their witness, following Jesus. But look how that tiny group has grown. I read just recently that it's estimated there are now 2.1 billion, with a B, 2.1 billion Christians in the world. 
and that that's about one-third of the total population of the planet. I had no idea. Would you have guessed that? Now, I don't know that they're all living a Christian life, but there's at least that many who claim to be Christians. And the church is still growing. Unfortunately, in the Western world, the church has slowed down the growth. Many churches have declined. And unfortunately, a lot have closed. Uh, since I've been doing a lot of driving around this city, I've noticed how many churches are boarded up and are for sale. And most of them, I've noticed, are the huge buildings that cover half a block or more, and they're no longer in existence. But the church in Asia, in South America, the gospel is exploding. And I think that's why the, the Hispanic or the Latino ministries in America are growing, because they're moving up from South America and Central America, and they want more of their faith than what they grew up with in the Catholic Church. From the smallest of seeds, the mightiest of all plants has grown. One day, I think maybe three weeks ago, I picked up a young man at the Mid-America Mid Bible College, I think, yeah. And uh, as we were talking, I learned that he's from France. I was very careful how I worded that, James, so that it wouldn't sound as if I picked him up in France. Uh, one Sunday, I, I said I, I picked up a young man who was from China, and Pastor repeated that John picked up a young man in China, and that's not what happened. I didn't drive to China, and neither did I drive to France, but he was from France. And I said, what brought you to, to Oklahoma City, you know, to, to Mid-America uh, Bible or Christian University? That's at Mid-America Christian University. He said, well, my country, France, used to be a very religious country, and now it's so secular that most of the churches are nothing but museums. But there's a few of us who left who really love the Lord, and I wanted to come here and learn all I could about the Christian faith and how to teach and how to preach and how to witness so I can go back to my country and help start a revival. I thought, wow, he's probably 21, 22 years old. And I said, well, what brought you to Oklahoma? He said, well, I did some research and read that the southern part of America is called the Bible Belt and that Oklahoma City is called the buckle of the Bible Belt. So I thought I would go to the center of the Christian world. He said, but unfortunately, Oklahoma is not much different than France. Oh, I wanted to cry. I felt so bad. He said, but the college, I'm learning. He said, you Christians here need to start a revival too, like we're trying to do in France. I think we would if we knew how, <laughs> you know. But there are people around the world who've come out of that tiny little group known as the disciples. Many of the values of the Western civilization are rooted in Jesus and the scripture. All of the hospitals that were originally in America were started by churches, by Christians. At one time, all of the education facilities were church-operated. And unfortunately, I don't know how the church let go of it and let it go to the government. I mean, we, anything the government touches, it messes up. I don't know how. But somehow the church released the education system to the government. But at one time, all education was handled by the churches. The civil rights movement had its origin in the scriptures. 
we're continually reminded how male-oriented the scriptures are and, and told how scriptures treat women badly, but there's not a religion on earth that has freed as many women as Jesus has. It certainly isn't Islam. As one observer noted, even our system of government is a product of those Christian values. Our constitution was written by Thomas Jefferson, but he got his, his ideas from the French Enlightenment. And the French Enlightenment got its ideas from the Renaissance. And the Renaissance got its ideas from the Reformation. And where did the Reformation come from? The Bible. So there's a chain there, and our Constitution really is based on Christian principles. A tiny seed planted more than 2,000 years ago is responsible for changing much of the world. Probably not as quickly as God would have liked, and I'm afraid not as quickly as we would like. But still that seed is growing until the day comes when every knee shall bow and every tongue shall confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. That's the power of a mustard seed. And I think that parents can see the power of the mustard seed all the time. A baby is born into a household. Can you imagine the significance of that event? Most of you have had that event in your home. It, it changes everything. Our oldest son is, well, even when he was in high school, he was the epitome of the crazy college professor. <laughs> Just, I mean, extremely intelligent, but his mind is always in the future. And his wife, who's now a medical doctor, is kind of the same way. They just, well, anyway, the wife's mother was telling us she went over to their apartment one day shortly after the baby was born and found the baby home alone. <laughs> and she went in, and they both said, oh, well, I thought he was going to stay. Well, I thought she was going to stay. So mom sat them both down and gave them a big lecture, and that never happened again. But uh, unfortunately, it was only a few minutes, and the baby was asleep in the crib. But it changed their whole pattern because they were used to just running, 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 running all the time. And most homes are really changed once a baby comes into it. Picked up a mother and uh, her little girl a couple weeks ago, and the little girl was dressed in a fancy outfit and had a little crown on her head, and, and we were taking her to daycare. And I said, oh, something special at daycare today. And the mother said, well, it's her birthday today, and she wanted to dress like a princess. So, well, happy birthday. And her mother said, yes, she turns three today. And the little girl said, mother, you're not supposed to tell a lady's age. <laughs> so I won't ask anybody's age. But kids bring a lot of joy to life, don't they? And some sorrow, some heartache. But a baby changes a family. A tiny seed changed the world. It's said that Queen Victoria was at one time visiting the English or the England's Royal Society. And she was fascinated by the brilliance of all the young men there. And she said to the Prime Minister, where do we find these learned men? Where do they come from? And he said, well, Your Majesty, these learned men all come from babies. Isn't that true? We need to take the babies 
and teach them and train them and help them. It was a small church in rural Kentucky, 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 which uh, for many years had produced several outstanding clergymen. Some had gone on to be the president of theological seminaries. Many of them were pastoring very large churches. Uh, a couple had become uh, the president of denomination, a couple of denominations, in fact. And one was a leader in an international Christian agency. This young candidate who was trying out as pastor of the church was amazed at the stories he heard about all these men who had come out of the church. And he said to the committee that was interviewing him, how in the world did this tiny church in this rural community find so many great men and the head of the committee said, find them? We didn't find them, we made them. <laughs> the church can produce great men. Pablo Casals, the world-renowned cellist, once said this when speaking to a group in his country. He said, what do we teach our children we teach them that two and two make four and that Paris is the capital of France. Why do we not teach them what they are? We should say to each child ever born, do you know what you are? You are a marvel. You are unique. There has never been another child in the entire world like you. Your legs, your arms, your clever fingers, the way you move, there's no one like you. You may well become a Shakespeare, a Michelangelo, a Beethoven. You have the capacity to become anything God wants you to be because you are a marvel. Isn't that a great lesson to teach children? And I'm not sure we do that enough. All of this is to say that one way we can serve God is by helping our young ones know who they are and to know what a great father in heaven they have. For everyone in this room, you don't have to be a parent or a grandparent or an aunt or an uncle to influence a child's life. Everyone in this room, directly or indirectly, influences our children, whether you're a parent of one of them, a grandparent of one of them, a teacher, it doesn't matter. Many, 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 many years ago when I was 20, I don't know, maybe 100 years ago, something like that. I was selected as a delegate from our district to go to the National Sunday School Association's convention. I don't know if they have a convention anymore, and I don't know if there's even a National Sunday School Association anymore. But I was thrilled to be elected to go, and it happened to be in uh, Nashville. And one night they took us all to the Grand Ole Opry, which was a real shock to my system. Growing up north, I'd never listened to country western music, but at any rate, uh, the rest of the time we were in conference and in, in small group meetings. And one of the small meetings I went to, well, they called them small groups. There was probably 500 people in the small groups. But the speaker at that time was the pastor of a church in Moline, Illinois, that had the largest Sunday school in the country. His Sunday school ran about 10,000. And the topic of that 
small group was how to build your church by using the Sunday school. And I had a good-sized Sunday school, but a real small church, so I wanted to learn from him. So much so I went twice. We were only supposed to go once, but I wanted to make sure I didn't miss anything he said. And I remembered ever since that time, and I've as much as I could put to practice this admonition from him. It's probably a little bit of hyperbole in it, but, but the realism of it is true. He said, if you have in your church $100 to spend, spend a dollar of it on programs for adults and spend $99 of it for the youth and the children because the youth and the children are your church. And if you don't get them incorporated into the church, next decade you won't have a church. And I've remembered that and I've worked at it. I've tried to do that. And I was thinking, to well, a couple of weeks ago now, I was talking to Pastor and uh, I shared with him that I went back to the church I was at at that time and put that to practice. And, and we got, did everything we could to get the children involved in the church. So I was glad the two boys sang tonight. We should encourage children to take part in the church, to be a part of it, to not feel like, well, I come and I go and nobody even knows I'm there, but to feel like this is the place I want to be. When Pam and I were growing up, we were talking just a couple days ago, we were at the church all the time. Uh, there was something constantly going on for the youth. In fact, that conversation came about because I picked up a young couple on Friday and they were going to a bar. And I always think, man, I shouldn't take them, but at the same time, I've already got them in my car. I, I can't say, get out. Well, as we were driving, the girl said, I want you to know that we don't drink and we're not going to this bar to drink because neither of us drink. She said, but we're going because they have really good food. It's small, there aren't a whole lot of people there and they've got pool tables and foosball table and as long as you keep buying, well, she said, we get a Diet Coke, we get Diet Cokes and he said, you get a Diet Coke. I get a diet Sprite. She said, well, whatever. We drink, as long as we keep getting them, we can keep playing for free. She said, you know, there's no place in Oklahoma City for Christian young people to go where they can just hang out with their friends and have a good time. I thought, I don't, you, know, I, <clears throat> you may not have noticed, but I'm not a young person, so I don't know the truth of that fact, but <clears throat> I know there's no place for us to go because we don't want to go anyplace. <clears throat> but... Nonetheless, uh, the church needs to make every effort to make children and young people feel this is your place. Fred uh, Craddock, retired seminary professor who has been an influence on pastors for decades, says, the person I remember most from my childhood is Miss Emma Sloan. She was an elderly woman single, but she taught the primary department in Sunday school. And then because nobody was willing to take the junior class when we in the primary class moved up, she moved up with us. And then when we moved into the junior high school, nobody wanted to teach the young teens, so she moved with us again. So then when we went into high school, there was no one to teach the high school class, so she went with us again. 
He said, what she used to do more than anything else is start every class by saying, may this be a light to your feet, a lamp for your path. And she taught us memory verses. She she never tried to interpret it. She never told us what it meant. After we'd memorized the verse, she'd go on with the lesson. But she'd always say, put that verse in your heart. Just put it in your heart. Said she used the alphabet, and when we were each morning as we did a new verse, we'd go around the circle and use the alphabet. She'd point to someone and say, A, and that person would say, A soft answer turns away wrath. B, be kind one to another, tender hearted, forgiving each other, as God also in Christ has forgiven you. C, come unto me, all ye who labor and are heavy laden, and clear around the circle with the alphabet. And then the second year, she'd go around twice, so you had to know two verses, and then three verses. And he said, I still remember those verses. He said, I probably have forgotten more of everything else I've ever learned in my life, but I've never forgotten those verses. She just sowed seeds. And he said, incidentally, he says, She used the King James Version, which was a lot harder to memorize. (laughs) They learned those verses and recited them in the Sunday evening service for the adults to hear. Oh, that's kind of neat. He said, I can't think of anything in my entire life that has made such a radical difference in my life as those verses did. Because whenever I have a problem, the Spirit of God brings something to mind from something I learned way back in elementary school, junior high school, and high school. You don't have to be a parent to have an influence on children or youth. Every teacher, every adult who speaks a word of encouragement to a young person, every person who donates money to a youth program, makes a difference in their lives. So often we ask, or or state more than ask, I can't do anything great for God. I don't have any great talents. I I can't go overseas as a missionary. I, I don't have the money to feed the hungry. But every one of us can provide the proper environment for children and youth in our church to grow in an atmosphere of love and support and spiritual guidance. I was thrilled the first Sunday we came here and the pastor had all the kids come up in front and pray for them. I'll have to say I never thought of that as a pastor and I wish I had. I'd never seen anybody else do it, so I never thought of it. But how, what a blessing it must be for those kids to come up here and know that the pastor is praying for them and that all of us out there are praying for them. It's got to encourage their hearts. It must must make them feel, people care about me. And that little guy who came up there this morning, the cutest little thing you've ever seen, wasn't it? Adorable as he came up the aisle for the first time. And I know that his grandma thought so. (laughs) But how important to give that encouragement to our kids. So what is the... Kingdom of God, like what's like a mustard seed? Just a little thing that grows into something big. 
and our children are the next generation of that mustard seed growth. I think Jesus was talking about the story of the church. Someone summed up mustard and seed faith like this. The Son of Man grew up in a despised province. He did not appear in public until his 30th year. Then he taught for two or three years in neighboring villages and occasionally at Jerusalem. He made a few converts. Most of them were poor and unlearned. And then he fell into the hands of his enemies. He died the shameful death of the cross. And that was the beginning of the universal kingdom of God. Doesn't sound like much of a beginning, does it? But it's growing and growing and growing. A tiny mustard seed sown in the ground is what that beginning was. But God brought Christ forth from the grave, and those who had learned from him spread his story. And today, 2,000 years later, I'm again telling that story, sowing the seed again and again. Chief among our duties is to make certain that we teach the next generation so that they are well steeped in the story, so that they might make it their own and that they might pass it on to their children. What a privilege we have and what a responsibility we have. What a purpose that is for life. I didn't see the movie called Oh God, and I, well, I wouldn't say that anybody should go to see it. But George Burns played the part of God and John Denver, the part of a grocery store manager named Jerry. And in this uh, perhaps even somewhat blasphemous movie, I don't know. It may have been fine. I don't know. But God holds a conference with Jerry and says, I want you to tell the world about me. So Jerry starts delivering that message, which lands him in a courtroom because everyone thinks he is now mentally incapable of taking care of himself. And God is called to take the defense. And towards the end of the movie, the two evaluate the success of that mission. And Denver, the store manager, says, that was a total failure, God, I'm sorry. And George Burns, playing the part of God, makes a statement that I think is important. He says, oh, I don't think it was a failure. A seed here and a seed there, some of them will catch hold and grow. And isn't that our mission? Scatter a seed here and scatter a seed there and a seed here and a seed. We don't know which ones are going to grow, but God does. That's the story of our faith. The kingdom of God is growing. And one way it is growing is, is the church's ministries to children and youth. There's power, unlimited and everlasting power, in a tiny mustard seed. We turn in the songbooks to 